1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The many benefits and blessings that come to us when we're born again in Christ are vast beyond any measure that our minds can know or imagine. Yes, we can immediately sense some changes taking place in our soul when we're first saved. And those are wonderful feelings that take place. Burdens are lifted. We feel cleaner than we've ever felt before. We stop wanting to do some of the things that we used to do, and on and on. But beyond those initial changes, there's something else very special that begins within our souls. Something that was never there before. And it's what these words call living hope. Living hope. As I've studied through this passage and others like it over these past few days and a couple of weeks now, I've become so aware of just how often God makes mention of this special gift of hope. And I'd like for us to study about it more carefully before we move on. First of all, as we've said on so many other occasions here recently, all people have some form of hope within them whether they believe in God or not. Hope simply is one of those basic natural responses that's born into every person. And for those people who have not placed their faith and hope in God, then their hope simply rests in some other source, some unknown mystical provision like that of fate or destiny or coincidence or something else. But here in these words, as we've said over these past two weeks now, God speaks to us about another very different kind of hope. A hope that actually has a very real person living within it. A person who hears and answers our cries. And in Romans 5, we see that that person is actually the whole trinity of God. God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. All of who God is is vested in making your and my hope become real to us. And it's vested in bringing about the best of all possible results. He is good and He doeth good. Those best results both within our souls, our own souls, and also then within the circumstances that we encounter. Listen to these words of Romans 5. And also... As we read, take careful note that all of these blessed benefits are available only, only to those who have received Christ as their Savior and Lord, those who have been justified by faith. This is verse 1 of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. 
and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. These are precious words of promise, especially as we would suffer through all those many sufferings of ordinary daily life. But may I say again to us, this great blessing of a living hope is ours only if and when and as we have Christ living within us. Sadly though, sadly as we look around us, the uncomfortable truth is most people do not have His presence living in them. Yes, many do believe that they do. And they go about doing all the many things that people who have Christ do. So much so that they convince themselves and others that they really are saved. They really do look saved. But the reality is, they aren't. Billy Graham has said that Perhaps up to 50% of the people sitting in the pews of churches are not saved. Somehow, even with all of these dear ones' good works and efforts, they still fall short of going ahead and completing that final and necessary transaction of surrender and of receiving Christ into their souls. And so they live each day in what these scriptures call a strong delusion. That strong delusion that I made reference to a few moments ago. And so they live the days of their life in a strong delusion. As I observe those things taking place, it seems most often to do simply with a need to hang on to that which has always been most comfortable, most natural to us. From the earliest days of our childhood, we've learned to depend upon our own wits and our own abilities to meet our daily needs and to transition our faith and our dependence from ourselves over to God is just too difficult. Too difficult. And so we opt out for that which is most comfortable to our senses, and that is our common sense. Our common sense. And folks, listen. The reality is, in most all circumstances, faith in God and that which we would use as common sense are in complete opposition to each other. Our common sense does not express the will of God in most cases. And so because we then opt out for dependence upon our own selves, in a very real sense, we become the actual Lord of our life the Lord of our life. Now when we think about those words for a moment, we immediately don't like them. We don't like the thought that we are being the Lord of our life. Sounds too arrogant. And it is. But still, we can't believe it about ourselves and so we reject that thought and we deny that to be true about ourselves. But the reality is, when our only source of strength and knowledge and wisdom and ability is ourself, 
then the simple truth is we are the Lord of our lives. And when we are the Lord of our lives, any hope that we might conjure up within ourselves can only reach to that level of some clever solution or bright idea that our own minds can think of. But here in our worship text, God is speaking to us of a far better hope. Far better than that which can be conjured up within our own minds. It's a far better hope that He wants to provide to us. And all we have to do to receive His better hope is to go ahead and complete that final transaction of giving up that fruitless striving and dependence upon ourselves and actually surrender our hearts over to Christ and let Him become the Lord of our lives. May I ask you, have you done that? You may very strongly trust Christ as your Savior, but are you willing to let Him be the Lord of your life in every circumstance, all through every day? Note again in these words that God has though given us everything that we'll need to take those steps of surrender. So it doesn't really require that much of us if we'll understand these words. Listen, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In Ezekiel, we read that when God puts a new heart in us, He puts a new spirit in us. And then He puts His spirit in us. And then He causes us, just as He did here, to cause us to be born again. He causes us, He moves us to do His will. And that's what He's talking about here. He has given us everything that it takes to personally surrender into His hands. But also, take note of these words. It is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that this blessing is able to be ours, this living hope. May I say that too often my mind can easily read right on past such blessed truths as these and never give them the the proper consideration that they deserve. Notice how he says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's almost would seem like an add-on to the end of the sentence, but it is ever so important, ever so important to what he is talking about here in, in the living hope. What does that mean? What do these words mean? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we can have this living hope. Why is Christ's resurrection from the dead so important to our being able to have life and to live each day with a living hope? The answer to that question is there's a very, very special power that resides within the resurrection of Christ. We're told that in one of my favorite verses of Philippians 3.10. It says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. There really is a very special and miraculous power within 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as these words of Philippians 3 tell us, you and I ought to want to know what that power is. Because it will make all the difference in that living hope that we will enjoy for the rest of our lives. What is that all about? What is that power that is in His resurrection? Consider, in those hours that Jesus hung there on the cross, He did something that He had never done before. He who had no sin, He who knew no sin ever, became sin for us. He had never done that before. But there hanging on the cross, He became sin for us. That pure and holy Jesus Christ took upon Himself the burden of every sin of the entire world. Every sin. And as He died there, He took all those sins into that place that's reserved for them. Into hell. And yes, please do realize and accept that many of those sins that He took there into hell were yours and mine. Our personal sins. But then there in hell, in some miraculous way that we'll never understand, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit dealt with those sins eternally. And then, praise be to God, as Jesus was cleansed from all of those sins and then He was resurrected, He came forth from His death. Listen, He came forth from His death into new life, completely freed from all those sins. And as He did all of that, this miraculous thing took place. God calls it propitiation, a word that means that our sins were completely atoned for. They were wiped away. That's what John the Baptist meant when he said those words when he first saw Jesus. He said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. That's what was taking place. That special truth is what God intended us to understand. And then he told us over in Romans chapter 6, Listen to these uh, words now. Here he talks about us uniting with the Lord Jesus and becoming one with Him in His death and in His resurrection. And he tells us how when He was cleansed from all of those sins that He had taken on, when we unite with Him in His death and His resurrection, we also are freed and cleansed from all of our sins. Listen to these, these words In Romans chapter 6, beginning verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? If we identify with Him, if we unite with Him in His death, then we who died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death, Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Folks, these are precious words. 
may I recommend them to you that you sit down and chew on them for a while. Precious words. Verse 5, For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. In those days before you and I surrendered our lives to Christ, sin and our sin nature completely controlled us. Do you remember those days? I remember a lot of them. Thankfully, the Lord is allowing me to have some forgetfulness because He knows that I don't need to dig up those old bones. But my life was completely controlled by sin and my sin nature. Drawing me, drawing you, dragging us into all of those entanglements, Scripture calls it, entanglements of sin. But thanks be to God, the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead, listen, that same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead and freed Him from the power of sin and death has also freed you and me from the power of sin and death. That's what he's saying here in Romans chapter 6. And now you and I can go about every day with a living hope. We don't have to wonder if we're going to stumble into something and get too far into it to where we can't get out. He gives us great promises that He'll always warn us ahead and He will give us a way of escape. This is real, folks. This is real and it is effectual. And it has to do with this resurrection of Christ, this power within this resurrection. You and I become very different people and so we can then say, as He says here in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Shall we go ahead and sin anyway now that we're saved so that grace may abound? He says, God forbid you should do that. You can't do that. We died to sin. How can we live any longer in it? And so with our hearts crying that within us, we turn away from sin. It no longer controls us you and I can confidently accept that we are no longer, no longer controlled by sin. We do not ever have to give in to those temptations that the world, the flesh, and the devil throw at us each day because they really no longer do have any control over us. None whatsoever. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Those temptations have no control over you. They are only temptations. Jesus was tempted. Yes, you and I will always be tempted. But they have no control over us. Now that we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is this stronghold of our life. I love those words there in the Psalms. He is the stronghold of our life. He is the one who has control over my life and over your life. I love these next words also. They tell us about what awaits us that have received Christ and have become part of His royal family. Verse 4, To an inheritance, you and I are saved to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Folks, this word inheritance is so very meaningful to our understanding of this new relationship that we have with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Now I know we've talked about this 
at length on other occasions, but I love to remind us of what it means. Here God speaks about an inheritance that you and I will receive. Who is it that ordinarily receives an inheritance? According to most all the statutory laws that prevail in our country, those who receive inheritances are the children. The children, the sons and daughters in a family. And yes, the owner of an estate can leave bequests to various people outside the family. But it is only the immediate family members that have rights to an inheritance. Now I explain this to us to say that while yes, God does freely through common grace bless many outside of His family, these real benefits of salvation and of adoption and of living hope and being a part of a family member in God's family, all of these benefits accrues only to the children of God. Only to the children of God. Sons and daughters of God. Let me read these words for you from Romans 8, chapter 14, describing this special family relationship. This is you. This is you who have faith in Christ. Verse 14 of Romans 8, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs, also heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Heirs. Heirs are family members that receive inheritances. And you and I have become sons of God. Whether we be male or female, we are all called sons of God. We're not at other levels with God. We're not servants. We're not hired men. We are sons. Fully adopted. Adoption, even in our statutory law entitles us to all of the benefits and privileges of a natural child. And you and I are adopted. And because of that adoption, we are heirs. And we are able to receive a son's portion of all the inheritance of God. Praise be to God for these sweet, undeserved free gifts. Note here also in verse 4, this inheritance is imperishable undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven. Now here again, these words bespeak the permanence of our salvation and our inheritance. We have been adopted as sons. This is a permanent covenant made by God Himself which He cannot go back on. And nothing else in all of existence can ever separate us from God or from our inheritance. Those words in Romans 8 also, beginning in verse 38, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor anything present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God and from our inheritance. And then also note here that this relationship and our inheritance are guaranteed to never diminish even. 
They're kept and guarded by God's power. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So then, may I say again to us, God is our Father. He is our loving Father. And He wants each of us to have the blessed assurance that the hope that rises up within us will be completely and eternally realized beginning in this life and then lasting on out into eternity as we take possession of the blessed inheritance that He has promised to us. Listen as I close. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. May I just ask you again, do you believe this? Let's pray.